Um, <clears throat> part of our vision at Branches is that we, we want uh, our church to be the kind of church where people who are maybe inquiring about Christianity, um, they're considering Christianity, they've heard a little bit about what Jesus has said, or they've heard some things about the Bible, and maybe haven't really kind of dove in. And we, we want you to know that it, if that's you, that you're in a safe place and, and, and hopefully a, a comfortable place for you. We, we want you to be um, comfortably uncomfortable because we believe that the word of God makes us uncomfortable and, and, we'll, and we'll, you'll see why in a little bit. But uh, we want you to know that as people, part of our vision is that we want our friends and our neighbors and those who are not Christians to feel the, the freedom to come and inquire and, and to, to, to check it out, to see if this is for you. So... So with this, that said, I want you to understand that today, what, one of the things that we're talking about is uh, living a life on mission. Um, and I know that uh, many of you here are, are consider yourselves Christians, and it's possible that you could be here and maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian. Um, and and we, we know that and recognize that, and there's things that we'll do on our service that, that might be strange. We do things like take communion, and we take an offering, and we sing these songs to God, and it might be weird, but, it, but you will, as you hang out, you will soon see why it is we do the things that we do. So we're just so glad that you're here. Our series is Living a Life on Mission. We've talked about a number of things um, related to us living that life as Christians on mission with God who is on mission after lost people, uh, people that do not know him, people that um, reject him. And there's reasons why that has happened in our, in our world because there's, there's brokenness. Sin has entered the world, brokenness has entered the world, and we all feel it and we all experience it. So Before we actually hear about Jesus or hear about God, we experience the brokenness of this world, pain and suffering and loss and all these different things brokenness in relationships with other people, jobs that don't work out well, relationships, marriages that do not work out well, mothers and fathers not working out well. And this is all a result of the fall and the brokenness. And so today is about living a life on mission, and the focus in particular this morning is about the way that we're going to live on mission is to be a people of prayer and a people who pray for others who do not consider Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. And that is the focus of this morning. So I want to encourage that in you and in us and continue to put us in a posture where we, if we call ourselves Christians, if we believe we've been saved by grace through faith, through Jesus, then we should be the kind of people who care enough about lost people so that we would actually take the time to pray for them. We pray for ourselves because we're fellow sinners, but we're saved by grace. We pray for people that are outside and, and outside of the family and don't consider this to be what they want. In fact, that's the model that Jesus gives us. It's the model that the Bible gives us. It's the model that Paul gives us. And so if you would, if you would take time right now and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. This will be one of the main texts that we look at this morning from the Word of God. I'm going to read that in just a moment. First. Timothy chapter 2. And we'll see that this is the thing that God calls us to if we're going to live a life on mission with him. Not only do we need to accept that we are the missionaries on mission, not only do we need to care about all those types of things, but we also need to do it in such a way that we actually pray. Now this morning what I want to do is, um, before I read the word of God, is, is help us understand that I want to deal with a little bit of the question of why we should pray, 
and how we should pray, maybe deal with some, um, some questions that come up as we think about that. Because if you're like me, there's been times in your life where you have fervently prayed for certain things and they have not come to pass. Does God answer every single prayer that we offer up? Why doesn't he answer every single prayer that we offer up? And we'll uh, take time to address just a little bit of that. And I'm, om- I'm also going to put some safety guards out there for you as you, you think about this and consider what the word of God says and even warn us and protect us for people out there who answer these questions a bit differently. And it's false and wrong and dangerous for the church. And what I have in mind there is the whole prosperity gospel. Some of you may know what it is. Some of you may not. It was very popularized in, um, in the last 50 years or so or whatever, um, especially where we live in Southern California, and it's spreading all over the world, and it's a false gospel, and it affects how we pray and why we pray and what we think we can get from God, and I want to just say that that view is wrong and not the gospel, so I'll, I'll deal with that just briefly this morning as well, just to, just to protect the sheep. I want you guys to be aware as you, as you hear things around you and, and how to think. And we want to be shaped, first and foremost, by the word of God. This is how God speaks to us through his word. First Timothy chapter 2, it says this. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, The man, Jesus Christ, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. The word of God. One of the first things that I want us to understand here is this. Number one, that in order for us to be a people who are living on mission, we need to be the kind of people who are going to pray for people who do not believe in Jesus Christ. We need, to, we need to pray for people who are not inside the family of God. We need to pray for people who reject it. Now, that seems very clear when, on the first read, and it is there, and I want to highlight some things to sort of lift up and pull out how extreme um, and in, how intense Paul is actually being, because there's some things going on here that we might not see at first. You see, Paul, he starts by saying that I, he's, he's like, look, I, I first, I, I urge you, okay, that, that, that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving, you have these four words, and they're kind of strange to us all, unless you're a big reader, and we would not be the first ones puzzled by these words. I, I will tell you this that even the great theologian who's been dead for many, many years, 500 years, let's call it 500 years, but not quite that, 
John Calvin had difficulty with one of the words in particular that was here. A great historical mighty mind that God gave him. And when you read his commentary on these verses, there's a word that he addresses. He says, I don't quite know what to do with this. Isn't that amazing? It just humbly says, I don't quite know what to do. And, and so you have the first word where he's, you know, Paul is saying, hey, look, I, I urge that there would be supplications. And that's this idea of you would, you would sort of pray on behalf of other people. But it's the same idea that we would get from the third word, inter- intercessions, right? We would intercede, we would pray on behalf of other people. That's a good thing to do, right? Then you have this second word, which is kind of a general idea of prayer. The third word, intercessions, that particular word is found only in this particular book of the Bible, in the fourth chapter. Now, we know, interpreters make a, they do a good job, and God wants us to know what he has to say, and he's speaking about prayer. We know that. And here's the thing we need to understand. What Paul is getting at is that he wants us, he wants his people to pray in different ways in regards to praying for others, to come in on their behalf and, and pray for them. We prayed for someone in our church who's got an issue with her leg, and she might lose her foot, and we're coming on her behalf and we're saying, Lord, please, would you please heal her? This seems impossible to man and to me. I mean, they're saying they can lose her. Please, God. And, and in, then he uses this general word and then a word that's very similar to the first one. And then he also says, pray in this way as well, with thanksgivings, where we, where we thank God for the things that he does on behalf of all these people. So what Paul is getting at when he talks about this is that we are to pray in different ways, on behalf and for and lifting them up and giving thanks for the wins and all that. That's what Paul is getting at when he says what he says, when he, and he puts all these, these words of prayer together. It's not meant to be overly complicated, and I don't mean for it to be, but I want you just to be aware when you read it, because you might walk away going, dude, what do all those different words mean? But Paul is getting at, I want you to pray in these different ways for all people. Now, there's another unique thing going on here in the text that's very important for us to understand. It's the kind of person Paul lifts up at this particular moment for the listeners, the Christians that would be reading this letter. Well, this is a pastoral epistle. This is actually to a pastor going to go to the people of God and tell them to pray in this way within public worship as well. And he is telling them and instructing them to pray for Kings. Doesn't seem like that big of a deal at first, right? Pray for kings. Pray for rulers. And he has a reason for that so that um, you may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Now, something we need to know about the early, the first century Christians and them being told by the Apostle Paul, make sure you pray for kings. Because, you see, it was a ruler who crucified their leader. Early Christians had a pretty difficult time with the leaders. Even though they were subject, even though they were pacifists historically, even though they weren't resisting authorities, they would have some frustrations and angers and potential bitterness. I want to I be careful not to say what the text doesn't say, but early Christians would probably struggle with, with some things regarding the rulers that have brought harm on their people. They would struggle in the same way that you and I would struggle when people wrong us. 
especially when they crucify their leader. And the irony is this, that Paul is saying, pray for and they're going to, the church tradition tells us that Paul would be beheaded, right? And he's telling them, pray for them. And then he's going to be killed. And he's telling God's people, make sure you pray for them. They need to be prayed for because they need to know Jesus. Even though they're going to kill me and they killed our Lord, they need to know Jesus. And so what he's telling them to do is to pray for the people that they would have the most trouble praying for. That's what's happening in this passage when he tell, says these things. Pray for these kings so that you will have a peaceful um, and dignified and godly life, a quiet life. Because, here's the other nuance to it, when you pray it actually has power and God does something. Even though he doesn't always answer every single whim of prayer we make. But he will have, uh, he will, God could bless that so that it impacts us. How we pray for these leaders can impact us. You and I live in an age where it is popularized um, um, all over the place. And there's even oh, this little confession. There's even shows that I've enjoyed over the years. I have to be careful. This is going to be recorded called SNL. <clears throat> Saturday Night Live, and like they go through great lengths of, of, of work and comedy and, and writing to, to, bash, um, to, to bash leaders, and it's, um, but our whole culture is kind of like that, right? I'm, I'm, I'm young enough to have not seen too many presidents in my day, but old enough to have seen uh, enough to see how culture reacts to them. No matter how you voted, even over the last two or three presidencies, you have probably had certain feelings about each, whether you agreed or disagreed with, with how they lived or how they, they led or ruled or presided, Paul is telling us, the church, the people of God, to pray for them, to not be embittered toward them. I mean, we need to, we, we can do our civic duties and do it right, but we need to, as the people of God, do something maybe that the rest of the world will not even do, and that is that we will pray for them, no matter who they are, not even if Nero were to take the presidency, right? Because that's who would come in for Paul, and that's who would behead him, the guy that lit Christians on fire at his parties, and he says, pray for them? And so I ask you this morning, and when you go in your branch groups, who do you struggle praying for? Who, who's in authority and who's, who's been given those positions that you struggle with, it would be hard for you to pray that you know, brother and sister, that, that Paul, he tells us to pray for them. And what Paul is getting at, he wants us to pray for all categories of people, including the ones that we have a hard time with, so that they would know Jesus. Not only that we would have a peaceful life, but all categories of people, including these kings that you might have a hard time with, pray for them. And therefore, we need to pray. If we're going to live we need to pray for people that do not embrace Jesus. It is so easy to pray for our children. Before my children were born and my wife was pregnant with them, I would plead with God. Moms, dads, you know what it feels like? You've, you've done it. I would plead with God. Please, God, save my child. Please, I want them to be in heaven. Please. Did you do that? Do you know what that feels like? And you're just like, God, I, I, like, 
I have my theology piece, and I, just, I don't want you to just rescue them. I want them to be smart and beautiful and, and all that stuff that we pray and plead for. It's easy to pray for them, but can we pray for people when it's hard to pray for them? If we're going to be on mission, we need to be a people who are praying for those that are outside the family, even when it's potentially difficult, and Paul tells us to actually do that. Now, saying that, I want us to understand there actually are certain people that he, in my opinion, but I think I have a good warning. I will confess and humbly say, I will think and ponder this more, but I want you to hear this because there's some things said before this very verses that Paul says that I want you to see. There is a couple people that Paul talks about being kicked out of the church. And I want you to see for yourself the language that he uses for them. In the verses, let's start in verse 18. What Paul says is, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy. He's talking to this pastor. My child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage good warfare, hold two things, faith and good conscience. And then he contrasts that with, by rejecting this, faith and good conscience, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are, and he names them, um, Hermanius, and Alexander, he names these two people, whom I have, listen to what Paul says, are you ready for the whammo? Whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now what Paul is talking about, he's actually getting out of, he's coming out of excommunicating them. That, that's what's going on here. He excommunicates them for this unrepentance that has happened, and we don't know the details of it. We know um, something similar to that has happened in the, in the Corinthian church, where a guy is having a, an affair with someone, well, all affairs, all adulterous relationships are adulterous and bad, but uh, they kick him, that person, out of the church. And I want you to hear, I want you to be instructed in what Paul is doing with this, because look, we need to pray for people that are outside. This was someone that was inside the church, they were in the household of God, they were part of the family, and then they made shipwreck faith for what, some unrepentant sin. And Paul says, I've handed them over to Satan. Why? You see, when he kicks them, when they get booted out of the church, they have lost, a, there is, it's lace less safe and you're more prone to the fiery darts of the evil one because it's better for them that maybe by God's grace they would get ravaged and beat up enough by Satan where they would say Jesus I need what have I done and that's that's why it, it's better for their soul that they take a beating and want to come back like the prodigal and want to come back from being in the mire and want to come back and say, God, I need you. Where was I? I'm an idiot. That's why he hands them over to Satan, so that they would, they would be, they would actually, they would suffer and come back to the goodness of God. It's better for them, rather than them to stay in the church and think, oh, I'm fine, even though I'm just completely unrepentant. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm totally good. And to go to hell. And you might think, dude, man, this talk of hell is so, that's one of the problems of the church, is they talk about hell, and yes, hell exists. If we do not, if we reject Jesus, there's hell. And that's why we, he hands him over to Satan. And in my opinion, I believe his handing him over, that they cease praying for them. 
potentially. And then he talks about these people that are outside of the church. He said, pray for them. Pray for them so that they would, so they would come to know him. Okay. Number two. The second thing that we need to know in order to be on mission is this. And these will not all be the same length, by the way. I, I, just, I just want you to, to, to know that. Number two is that, that we, if, we're, if we don't ask, if we don't come to God and ask, how can we expect anything from him? As I urge us to pray for people that do not believe, that are outside, that you plead on their behalf, how can you expect anything from God unless you ask? In the book of James, chapter 4, you don't have to turn it, but just listen. Book of James, chapter 4, it says this, starting in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you, ready? Because you do not ask. And yet, isn't it fascinating that he points out the ways that we fall into temptation and then into sin? You, we covet, we, we desire things that we don't have, and when we don't obtain them, it doesn't go our way, whatever it is. Life doesn't go the way we thought it was going to go. We become angry and embittered, and maybe we do something dumb and, 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 impro- and, and inappropriate. We fight and we quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So James says. Verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So why is it that there are times that God doesn't answer prayers? Well, one of the reasons is, is because we ask wrongly. That's not the only reason why God doesn't answer every prayer, and he does not answer every single prayer, by the way. But, a lot, but there's plenty of times when we ask for our own selfish desires, and that's true, isn't it? You adulterous people, he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, is what James says. But he said, you do not have because you do not ask. What are we to expect if we do not ask? So we, well, let me appeal to you. One of the reasons that we should pray is because he answers prayer, that he's a good father. In fact, the book of James itself says that, that God is a good and perfect father. Every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven from him. Number three, prayer is powerful. In the same book, in James chapter five, it says this in, in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Right, the, the vision of someone laying down. Someone's really sick. This is really, really awfully sick. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, like a a sinful nature. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. There is power in prayer, this is what God has given us to use to make our warfare. Prayer is powerful. Why should we pray? Because our Father 
wants to answer. He wants to give good things. He wants to heal people that are sick. He asks, he tells us to pray, and it is powerful. And yet, God does not answer every single prayer, does he? One of the things that we face in our world, and I'm going to name one of the teachers of this whole, this whole prosperity gospel, because it is so wicked, it is a false gospel, it teaches people that they would get rich if they just give enough, then they themselves will get rich, that they will be saved if they just have enough faith, they, they will, God will, is like a piggy bank that will give you all the desires of your heart. So sorry, guys, I'm trying to fix this thing. Just if you have enough. And therefore, if your faith is not strong enough, you do not get from God. It's called, it's called that's another gospel, guys. That's called the prosperity gospel. And I'm, brothers and sisters, I'm imploring you not to buy it and to be discerning. You know, we suffer, your experience tells you that you, that you have difficulty in suffering in this world. Your experience tells you, before I even read the text of Scripture, that God does not answer every single prayer. And just because he doesn't answer every single prayer doesn't mean you didn't have enough faith. It doesn't necessarily mean that you were asking selfishly, although sometimes we do ask selfishly, although there are times when our faith is weak. But the idea that we could just be strong and grit our teeth hard enough and God will accept that prayer is just false. The gospel is not that. The gospel is that Jesus came and died for sinners and he rode, rose on the third day and he did for us what we could not do for ourselves in every single way. We, we, our shame is removed, our guilt is removed because of what Jesus has done for us. And this whole name it, claim it, get rich quick if you have enough faith is poison and toxic and it's spreading all over the world to, 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 to poor people. Because if you're poor and someone says, I drive whatever this car is because I have enough faith, they say, I want faith like that. If that's Jesus, I want that. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. The gospel is about Jesus. Not, it's about the giver and not what we get. It's about the giver and not worshiping the things that he has given. Because ultimately, those things, it's idolatry to worship those things. Prayer is powerful. And we should pray because prayer is powerful. Number four, pray in the moment. Pray in the moment. Pray uh, at the last second. There's a, there's a prophet named Nehemiah, and he's standing before the king, and he becomes very sad, but he's very concerned with his kinsmen and his people who are, who are in shambles. Israel's in shambles. The place of worship is in shambles. And he's standing before this king who's an outsider, who's not the king of Israel. He's a pagan king. And he's a smart guy, and he's in service of this king, and he becomes very sad. And in this dangerous become sad or have a frowny face in front of the king. Well, maybe the king, he doesn't want to tolerate those kinds of things. He has enough stresses and anxieties in his life that if there are anyone in his court, if they're going to be sad, he'll just kill them. Because he doesn't want another sad and difficult situation to deal with. And this is, here's the interaction with him and this king. 
In Nehemiah chapter 2, it says this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King um, Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in, the, in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when, when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and, it, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Now notice what Nehemiah does. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And notice the words right after that. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? How many moments happened between what the king said to him, what are you requesting, and this prayer that he offers up? Because the prayer is actually within just a moment of time. No, no, I want us to realize that we need to learn how to pray in the moment. As we have interaction with, with family and friends that do not know Jesus, and you, 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 feel, you don't even know what to say, honestly, first and foremost, just be a true friend, just be a good friend. Pray. When you're in a situation with your, with your, with your wife, men, with your husband, ladies, and it's going kind of difficult, pray. Hold hands and pray together. But sometimes just in the heat of the moment, we can pray. You're having a difficult situation with your boss at work, and you're, you, I mean, you might, it might be on the line because of a mistake that you made, and you're thinking, do I need to cash in these chips to make this work out? What am I going to do? And before you speak to him or her, God, help me. Nehemiah, what he does is he prays in the moment. One of the things that we need to learn how to do, one of the hows is we need to learn how to pray in the moment very quickly. And sometimes it's as simple as, Lord, please help me. Number five, pray constantly whenever you think about it. Colossians says this, one nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In Thessalonians it says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing, he says. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. We need to learn how to pray continuously we, we have to learn how to do that. How, how, how do we do that? Learn practices that are helpful for your prayer life individually. One of the things that, that, that I've been doing more as the years have gone on in my, in my, my later walk with Jesus has been this. If, if I am woken up in the middle of the night, it doesn't matter if it's one in the morning or four in the morning, I just assume that it's not because I had coffee too late, that maybe God wants me to pray for someone. And if there's anyone that he brings to mind, then I will lift those people up and I will pray for them. Now, I don't always do that, but I want you to know that, man, this is one of the things that we can do. We can pray without ceasing during the day, as we go on our walks, as we interact with work, and we're doing those uh, menial tasks at work, if they are menial. I realize sometimes you have to be kind of laser beam focused, but if you're awoken up in the middle of the night, pray. 
Pray for these people. Pray for your family. Pray for your heart. Pray for those that, that reject Jesus and don't give up on them. And pray. Knowing that God doesn't answer every single prayer, but he does answer prayer. And that's what I want us to walk away with today, guys. I want us, if we're going to live on mission, if we're going to get in that type of posture, one of the ways that we're going to have to be prepared to do this as we make the warfare together in the city for this city is that we will have to learn how to pray for people that are outside the family of God and just see what God will do. So let's pray.